And so I just thought it was probably a wise thing to do to just kind of pause for a moment or two. Um, God knows what's happening, you know, it's no surprise to him, uh, but he does like his people to participate in making a positive difference uh, in the world. And so just simply, um, I'm going to encourage us to pray, uh, to talk with God and kind of let him know what's on our hearts. So obviously there's no um, pressure, you know, no um, obligation or anything. You might just want to enjoy some quiet time because our lives are pretty busy and quite noisy and sometimes it's just nice to sit still for a moment or two. Um, you're also welcome to pray quietly, connect with God, but if you want to pray out loud, again, you're welcome to do that too. I've got a microphone so just so everybody can hear, but I just think there's lots happening and um, things are uncertain, things are messy, and it's just a good time to pause uh, and just um, continue our worship of God and acknowledge his hand in everything. So let's do that for just a, a moment or two. If you want to pray, just um, indicate to me and I'll grab the microphone for you so everyone can hear. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our Heavenly Father. We thank you for this beautiful world, part of your creation, which sadly has been desecrated and knocked about by man. And Father, today we would especially think of what's happening in the Russian uh, republics, the different places around there, what's happening with the people. And Father, we would bear these precious people up to you. They're all precious. They're all created in your image. Whether they're Christian or not, they're created in your image. And as such, Lord, we bring them before you and we pray, Father, that this terrible war that is going on that father you would place your hand upon it and that you would bring peace and blessing to a confused and a world that is unfortunately being led in evil at the moment so father we would bring this country to you and we would ask for your blessing upon it in jesus name amen father. <coughs> After watching the news this past week and after all of the promises, Russia has moved into Ukraine and there is a huge loss of life and it's barely even started yet. And so we just want to pray for the people who live in that country. Many of them are your own. But regardless of that, Lord, for those, all of those innocent people, Lord, who are, uh, have been faced with the threat of this for a long time and now it has happened we just want to pray lord for safety for them we want to pray lord that you would um, somehow stop the bombing and somehow the aggressors would turn and go back home lord you can do this but we know that in the time of world affairs there, um, there are things that will happen and we cannot stop them but lord we just want to pray for safety for those for your people we want to pray for our own country too lord there's been so much that has been happening that has been unpleasant in our country as well and we just want to pray for those things which are not our normal new zealand that they will cease also and we just want to pray that we will come back together again as a people as a team of five million as one united and we just want to pray too lord as we know that the the virus now is out there it's a it's arrived and we just want to pray, Lord, that you would help us all just to get through that. Keep your people safe, Lord. And even here in Alexandra, we want to pray for 
um, the people associated with this church, but also the people who are associated with this town, who live in this town. We just want to pray that you would keep us, Lord. Help us to get through this. And so we just commit all of this to you. In Jesus' name. As I was praying for the people of Ukraine this morning, the Lord gave me this verse. In Psalms 34, verse 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. So taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. I just do really pray for those people in the Ukraine going through such a terrible time. I think that's just an important uh, thing for us to do, just to pause and take some moments. Um, On a bit of a different note, I think one of the most amazing things uh, about being alive today is that there is just a huge variety of stuff available for us, right? And the thing that I immediately thought of is ice cream, okay? So there are literally hundreds of flavours of ice cream. You're probably aware of that. I mean, you probably enjoy multiple flavours of ice creams. What would you say, and feel free to call this um, call out loud, you know, what would you say is the best flavour of ice cream? Hokey pokey, caramel, salted caramel. Ambrosia. Any others? Chocolate boysenberry. Okay. A couple of fascinating facts for you. <coughs> um, Hokey Pokey, which was popular in this side of the church, is a New Zealand specialty. So you can't actually, the only other country in, in the world that you can definitely get Hokey Pokey is Japan because we export it to there. And apparently, there's multiple stories, but the strongest story is that Hokey Pokey was invented in Dunedin. So if you've, you know, not anything else from church this morning, take that important fact away. Uh, there's also crab-flavoured uh, ice cream in Japan, if you wanted to get exotic. Or I, I searched Google, there is beer-flavoured uh, ice cream. There is bacon-flavoured ice cream. And there's avocado-flavoured ice, ice cream. So if you want to kind of branch out from the usual boys and berry hokey pokey. Okay, that's good. Good to know. I thought you thought it would have been real passionate about that. What about this one? What is the best cell phone brand? Feel free to call it out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're being serious. <laughs> okay. Someone say iPhone, Apple, any others? Samsung. Ooh, split this side versus that side. Okay, that's good. So there's you know, a bit of variety in terms of cell phones. Uh, what about... The best car manufacturer? Hyundai. Hyundai. Strong. Holden. Oh, deaf, getting the colours out. A what? A Chev. Yeah, there'll be a few popular. Ferrari. <laughs> Warren will be giving um, rides after church in his Ferrari at his garage. Aston Martin. That's cool. I like that. Okay. Uh, best movie genre? Rom-com, drama, comedy, science fiction. Can I get an action movie out there? Is there? Hello, Rambo. Yeah, look, yeah, Warren. Yeah, nice. Okay. Um, what's the best sport? Rugby. Rugby. <laughs> Do you even play rugby? Okay. <laughs> okay. Any other advances on rugby? Cricket. Ooh, okay. What was that? Netball, okay. I thought someone said handball, and I was like, wow, this is very European. Yeah? Yeah, 
Cricket. Bowls, Warren? And bowls, yeah, okay, all right, that's good. Okay, all right, you're starting to get, you're starting to get a bit of a theme here. Okay, what's the best political party? <laughs> no, that was just a joke. That was just a joke, just kidding. You don't have to tell me publicly. <clears throat> just doing a little survey at the moment. Um, anyway, the point is this. There is a whole lot of variety that we enjoy, and I think that variety reflects different perspectives and different opinions uh, about which is best, right? And, and it's fine. We're allowed to have that. It's actually good. It's actually healthy. <clears throat> I mean, imagine how bland our world would be if all of us liked vanilla ice cream, if we all had an Apple iPhone, if we all drove a Honda, if we all, you know, liked this and like that, and we all watched rom-coms and loved rugby and voted for whoever you vote for, okay? So I think variety is quite refreshing, it's, it's healthy, it's, it's good to enjoy a range of opinions and perspectives, but despite the differences that we have, I would argue that there's actually some core elements which virtually all New Zealanders agree on. There is a collection of, of moral and ethical principles which the majority of the people in New Zealand believe are important for a functional society. And so here's just a list which I've kind of brainstormed and, and figured out from talking with various people, and you can see them and, and read them. Justice, fairness, equality, liberty, freedom, security, democracy, community, property, privacy, family, travel, information, education, recognition, protection, individualism, expression, opinion, association, recreation, production, employment, and healthcare. Those, I mean, that's probably not a comprehensive list, but those things are are important to most New Zealanders. Overall, those are kind of fundamental, foundational principles which, which are valued in our society. And, and I think within that, there'd be variety, there'd be shades, there'd be different perspectives and opinions, but the core is that most New Zealanders likely hold these values, these principles, important. And so over the years, a lot of these principles have sort of been broadly categorised as human rights. So you're probably aware of human rights, they are sort of essential freedoms and powers which, which should be enjoyed by every person, regardless of their age, their gender, their ethnicity, their nationality, their religion, every person should experience a, a certain freedoms and rights. And so in New Zealand, we take human rights for granted. In fact, a lot of them are embedded in the laws of our society. And human rights are actually supposed to be universal. They're supposed to be applied to all people at all times and in all places. But unfortunately, you and I both know, that's not always the case. Much, for much of human history, there has been oppression and exploitation and, and human rights have not always been championed by people in power. And even this week, I mean, we've seen it on our screens, you know, conflict in Eastern Europe and there is going to be thousands, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people whose human rights are going to be ignored. And so if you asked most people on your street if they thought human rights were important, they'd probably say yes. And then if you ask them why do they think human rights are important, they probably would say, I don't know. And then if you ask them where human rights come from, they would probably say, I don't know. And I think most people in the West believe that human rights 
a sort of a recent development. Like in the last 100 years, people suddenly thought it would be a good idea to start being nice to each other, and then our modern human rights are the result. But it's not quite that simple. The reality is that human rights have had a very long trajectory, and, and actually our modern human rights, what, what we take for granted, especially in this country, actually have their roots in the Christian faith. In fact, modern human rights can be traced back to the teaching of Jesus that every person is created in the image of God. And so we've been doing this series for a couple of weeks, and um, that first message a fortnight ago dived into this whole concept of the image of God. So if you missed it, there's an audio recording on the church website. I'm very happy to share the notes with you or whatever. But if you did miss it or if you've forgotten, I'm just going to give you a super quick refresher because it's a really, really big deal. So Jesus picked up on this Jewish doctrine that every person is created in the image of God. Now there was an awareness of this in the ancient world that people could represent the gods, but that was only reserved for the elite people, the wealthy and the powerful people, like the kings and the rulers. So Jesus essentially democratized this doctrine. He said that everyone, every man, every woman, every child, old and young, rich and poor, healthy and sick, weak and strong, they were all created in the image of God. And therefore, every person is worthy of dignity and respect. And so in the first century, when Jesus started sharing this idea, it was radical. It was completely revolutionary. In the Greek and the Roman society uh, that Jesus was working in, that was highly stratified. Everybody knew their place, and your place was determined in that hierarchy by your gender, by your age, by your wealth, by your intelligence, and by your influence. And so Jesus completely upended that whole social system, and he said that every human being is created in the image of God. It doesn't matter whether you're a statesman or a soldier or a sailor or a slave. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, whether you're strong or weak, whether you're smart or stupid. Jesus recognized the image of God within everyone that he met. And his treatment of people on the, on the fringes of society was really remarkable. So Jesus spoke freely with women, with the woman at the well, with Mary and Martha, with Mary Magdalene. Jesus welcomed women into his group of followers. He respected them for their intelligence and he appreciated their contribution. Jesus also invited children to listen to his stories. He valued their vitality. He blessed them. He actually went out of his way to help and to heal the suffering of the young. Jesus also accepted the outsiders and the outcasts, those who were shunned because of their ethnicity or because of their disability or even because of their authority. Jesus welcomed them in. And Jesus did all of this because he believed in this radical idea that every person is created in the image of God and every person has inherent wealth and value and dignity. And so those early Christians, the first followers of Jesus, they also believed in this idea. They followed in the footsteps of their founder and they respected all people regardless of their social status. And women and children were particularly valued by the early church. So James, uh, the brother of Jesus, he instructed Christians to care for orphans and widows, two of the groups that were most marginalized within Roman society. 
The sick and the suffering were also valued uh, by the early church. There's several recorded examples where the first Christians showed compassion on the ill and the diseased. In some instances, they brought help and healing, and others, they were simply able to ease the discomfort of those people. And so if you read through the history books, you'll see that the Christian idea that every person is created in the image of God, that every person has value and worth, that's actually spilled over into a whole lot of other areas of society. Health and welfare, social justice and law, uh, literacy and education, the arts and the government, and ultimately, human rights. In fact, almost all of the historical forerunners of our modern human rights have been influenced by Christian values and virtues. Has anybody uh, heard of the Magna Carta? Yeah, okay, excellent. So the Magna Carta was um, produced 1,200 years after Jesus, published in England, and it was primarily a, a peace treaty between a very unpopular king and a bunch of his nobles. But the Magna Carta promised a little bit more than that. It promised protection for the rights and justice for all free men. This is um, the opening line. To all free men of our kingdom, that's England, we have also granted for us and our ears forever all the liberties written out below to have and to keep for them and their ears. Now, historians agree that the Magna Carta was, was a crucial step in the official acknowledgement that all people have rights. And so that initial, initial draft of the Magna Carta was actually prepared by the Archbishop of Canterbury at the time, a guy called Stephen Langton, and his Christian belief that every person had inherent value influenced how he shaped the Magna Carta. There's been a bunch of other um, <clears throat> significant documents which have shaped human rights over the years, but probably the most influential one has been the, uh, the Declaration of Independence. 500 years after the Magna Carta, a bunch of statesmen in America signed the Declaration of Independence. It's a, a foundational document for America. Uh, it's quoted in all like, you know, tons of American movies, so you're possibly familiar with it. But if you're not, this is the opening lines. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, virtually all of those founding fathers had a Christian background or Christian belief, and their values were really influential in this. They asserted that everyone is created equal before God, and that God gives everyone unalienable rights, which is a fancy way of saying rights that no one can take away. Even aliens, which is a bit weird. But. but probably the best example of the Christian influence on human rights came in the 20th century. In 1948, the newly formed uh, United Nations published the Declaration of Human Rights. And this was a list of 30 articles which was, a, which was establishing the rights and freedoms of every human being. Now, you may or may not be familiar with the specifics, but I bet that you know most of these and believe most of these and take most of these for granted because they are embedded in our society. But I'm just going to share with you all 30 clauses. No, I'm not. I'm just going to share with you a couple of key ones. Okay, first one, all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. 
Uh, second, or number three, sorry, everyone has the right to life, liberty, and security of person. Number four, no one should be held in slavery or servitude. Number six, everyone has the right to recognition as a person before the law. Number 13, everyone has the right to freedom of movement and residence within the borders of each state. Number 16, men and women of full age without any limitation due to race, nationality, or religion have the right to marry and found a family. Number 18, everyone has the right to freedom of thought, conscience, and religion. 19, everyone has the right to freedom of opinion and expression. 20, everyone has the right to freedom of peaceful assembly and association. 23, everyone has the right to work, to just and favourable conditions of work, and to protection against unemployed. 24, everyone has the right to rest and leisure. 26, everyone has the right to education. Now, those are basic human rights, and in New Zealand, we take those for granted. But when the United Nations first published the Declaration of Human Rights 74 years ago, those ideas were not assumed, and they were certainly not universally applied. In fact, the devastation of World War II had just has shown how cruel people could be to one another. So in an attempt to protect the vulnerable around the world from ongoing oppression, the United Nations established a committee to draft up a list of human, uh, universal human rights. Now there were nine representatives from various countries on that committee, uh, Australia, Chile, China, America, um, France, Russia. But three of the people on that committee were very strong in their Christian faith. Eleanor Roosevelt from America, Charles Malik from Lebanon, and John Humphrey from Canada. And while the committee intentionally avoided any reference to God or any specific religion, it's really clear when you read through the, the, the Declaration of Human Rights, you see that there is a fundamental assertion there that the human rights that they wrote and recorded were influenced by their Christian worldview. In fact, uh, um, a Yale professor called Samuel Moyen said this, the human person became a key figure in thought at the United Nations thanks to Christians who were impressed by church language and who injected it into founding documents. And so this is the first line of the United Nations Declaration of Human Rights. Recognition of the inherent dignity and of the equal and inalienable rights of all members of the human family is the foundation of freedom, justice, and peace in the world. Now where did that idea come from? Because there is no equivalent idea in human history outside of the Christian faith. Secular philosophers and historians would agree that human rights are important, but they really struggle to explain why. They base most of their arguments around you know, the, the unique place that people have in the world. But the Christian has a much simpler and a much more powerful argument on the importance of human rights because every person is created in the image of God. Every person is invested with inherent dignity and equal worth. And so our modern understanding of human rights is rooted in the Christian faith. And down through the centuries, Christians have celebrated the value of every person. They've championed the ideals of human rights. But at the, at the same time, Christians have also fallen short of some of those ideals. And instead of 
chanting rites, the Christian church has committed wrongs. Where people should have been protected and respected, people have been abused and exploited. And so you would be well aware that in recent decades there's been a number of significant sexual abuse scandals around the world that have involved the Christian church. So in the late 90s, the early 2000s, it was revealed that there were Catholic priests in Northern Ireland and the UK and in Boston in America that had been sexually abusing children for years. And thankfully justice was served, those men were put in prison, but the victims were left with a lot of trauma and a lot of tragedy to deal with. And then more recently there's been allegations of abuse uh, against Catholic priests in Australia. Uh, And so the government has launched an inquiry in Australia, and after several years of investigations, thousands of interviews and tens of thousands of documents, the Australian government has tragically discovered that 58% of child abuse in that country has occurred within religious institutions, whether it's a school, an orphanage, a church, a youth group, or some sort of foster care that the church has been supporting. And, and that Australian inquiry discovered that it wasn't just a Catholic problem. There was Anglican churches, Presbyterian churches, Salvation Army churches, Baptist churches, Pentecostal churches were all represented in the abuse. You're probably aware that the New Zealand government has been on a similar process last two or three years. There's been a Royal Commission of Inquiry currently underway and commissioners are reviewing a number of allegations <coughs> involving abuse with, within faith-based institutions as well as wider state care. And so they are currently conducting interviews, uh, hearings, you've probably seen it pop up on the news every now and then, and their findings are going to be revealed Uh, halfway through next year, in about 18 months' time, mid-2023. Now, it is super important that those investigations happen. I think we'd all agree that justice needs to be served, but that doesn't take away the tragic experiences that many people have had to endure. So I just want to say this. If you or, or someone you know has experienced abuse, whether it's emotional, physical, or sexual, by someone connected to a church or someone claiming to be a Christian, then, then I am deeply sorry for that. And I admire you for your strength of survival. And if you are still wrestling with the pain and the trauma from that, then I really encourage you, if you haven't already, to talk to a trusted friend or, or a professional to get some help and some healing for that injustice. Because I think it's very obvious that that abuse is such a contradiction to what Jesus taught and said. It is, it is absolutely out of line with his teachings. But it's also really important for Christians to not let the good of our faith be undermined by the shocking wrongs that others have done. And so against that hypocrisy and that heartache, we can bring a new song. We can bring the real tune of Jesus because Jesus composed a beautiful tune where people are valued and appreciated, where people have dignity and respect. And it's, and it's our responsibility to continue his legacy to, to play the tune of Jesus in the world. So, with our world being so messy, 
with the problems seeming so overwhelming, people perhaps more than ever need to hear that tune of Jesus. And just keep in mind here that it's, it's unlikely that you by yourself are going to stop the war in the Ukraine. It's unlikely that you're going to eliminate child abuse from religious institutions. It's unlikely that you're going to end this global pandemic. But you can make a difference to one person. And so not only can you support their human rights in that, but you can actually live out the principles uh, and the practices of Jesus. So here's my encouragement for you this week. Think of one person you know who is doing life tough. Might be a family at your school who's really struggling to make ends meet. Might be a colleague who's quite anxious about COVID. Might be the owner of your favorite cafe and they are just literally getting through day by day. Might be someone in your extended family who's lonely or withdrawn. Might be an elderly neighbor who's just got some health issues. So one person who's doing life tough. Okay, you got that one person in your head? Now think of one action, one thing that you can say, or one thing that you could do to remind them that they have value and worth in the eyes of God. Maybe it's very simply just leaving an envelope with some money in their letterbox, or a card under their doormat, or a note on their desk, or, or a text message or something. Maybe it's an offer to stack firewood for them, or to mow their lawns, or just to catch up and chat over coffee. Something simple that you can show they have value, they have worth. And if you're stuck for ideas, you could uh, do what Christians have been doing for about 2,000 years. You could follow the advice of the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the first Christians in Rome. And he said this, Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in your confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. You know, by doing that stuff, we are playing the tune of Jesus. We're showing people that we care, we're showing them that they have value, that God has created them in his image. And we're making a difference in our world. Sure, it's one person at a time, but that's how the best things happen. So, in the messiness of life, uh, I think this could be a really good week. You've got an opportunity to help one person with one action. And so, uh, if you do choose to do that and <clears throat> you, know, you want to share your story, I'd be really keen to hear it. Give me a call, give me an email, catch up. I just think it's really encouraging when God's people play his tune in our community. Sounds good? Yeah. Let's pray. God, we are grateful that you've created every person in your image. Every person is worthy of dignity and respect. As we've traced very briefly the history of human rights, we've seen that unique influence that Jesus has had. He's brought benefit to our world, immeasurable benefit. We pray that we would continue to play his tune. We continue to make a difference in the people we meet and the problems that they face. You know, may Christians in this town be known for the good that they do, the rights they uphold, and the people that they value. For your sake and your glory. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us this morning. It's, um, yeah, been always 
good, good to have you with us. And like Stacey said, we've got a team of uh, a prayer team over here in the corner and the couch if you want to talk with something further, some information at the back corner. Please stick around for refreshments. We've got tea, 